Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, We'll begin in verse 14 and uh, read through the end of the chapter. So we are wrapping up today the the vision of the trumpets. Um, What is this third vision that John has given to us, that John was given, that he has passed on to us, and it involves seven trumpets that that echoed the plagues of Egypt. And so um, we take a look today at these words as we hear the seventh trumpet. Hear the word of the Lord. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and the one who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do praise you that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. As we look at this sounding of the seventh trumpet, we ask that you would convict us of our sin, that you would show us your glory and that you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometime in the 1960s, something changed within the political landscape of the United States of America. Now, I understand that things were not all wine and roses previous to the 1960s, but there's a traceable change that began in the 1960s, a a traceable change in the ability for people to work together across the so-called political aisle. If you look at the statistics from the 60s on to today, you'll see uh, that in the early 60s and early to mid-60s, there was a lot of back and forth across the aisle as politicians from either party would negotiate, they would strategize, and they would pursue plans uh, for the betterment of the people rather than the betterment of power or political office. But over the decades between then and now, a, a shift has been, has been seen to where it's no longer political skill needed to get your agenda passed. You merely need more people of your party in office because politicians more often than not are unwilling to work together. And as this is a reflection of our culture, many people think that uh, the culture reflects the politics, but it's actually the other way around. The, the politics reflects the culture. And you can take one political decision. It can be any political decision, whether it was made today or 100 years ago. You can take one political decision. 
and it can bring both joy and anger. If there were an alien looking down from space and watching the events of the last several years unfold on the different issues around pestilence, around life, around finances and economics, there there would be great confusion at the simultaneous expressions of deep joy and anger present in our culture. This actually gives us a taste of what it will be like when the seventh trumpet is sounded by the angel. Our our passage opens today with the declaration that the second woe has passed. This takes us back to Revelation 8.13, where after the first four trumpets uh, uh, describing the natural disaster that is signs of God's judgment upon the earth, after those four trumpets had blown, we are told that there will be the next three trumpets will be far, far worse. They will be great woes. They will be... uh, There will be omens of horror that will come upon the world. And the first was the the demon hordes that look like locusts. The next was the demon army with the bizarre looking horses. And then we had the interlude. And now we are told as bad as those first two woes were. The third is coming and we must beware. And immediately upon that declaration, the seventh trumpet is sounded. And what does the seventh trumpet bring us that would bring such reactions of anger and of joy? The answer to that is found in verse 19, where we see that the Lord, that then God's temple in heaven was opened and with his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. There came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake and great hail. God's presence with his people was signified in the Old Testament by the tabernacle and the temple. And within that tabernacle, within that temple was a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in that room was the Ark of the Covenant. And that Ark of the Covenant signified God's holy presence with his people. It signified the reality that God would make a means for him to dwell as a holy God in the midst of an unholy people. But it also signified his judgment against sin as it had to be handled in such a certain way unless his judgment would be brought down upon those who dishonored or disregarded the holy nature of the Ark of the Covenant. And so what we see here in verse 19 is that the seventh trumpet brings God's presence upon the earth. And that presence is both a sign of grace and forgiveness and a sign of his judging against sin. As as Moses was receiving the law from God in the book of Exodus, he asked God, he said, reveal yourself more clearly to me. And God said, I will. And when he had done that, God, God gave him the words that that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness to thousands of generations. But he will not allow sin to go unpunished, punishing the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. And it is the revelation of the presence of God, the descent of the holy of holies to this earth 
signifying the end of the creation mandate because all of creation has been made in God in in a way that God's glory can live on this earth that brings reactions of joy and reactions of anger. And as we consider these reactions of joy and these reactions of anger, we are reminded that we are called to make sure that we are those who fear the Lord and work for his glory. So first, the reactions of anger to the arrival of God on this earth. Verse 18 tells us that the nations were angry at God for his arrival on this earth. And and we get a, a, a foretaste of this in Psalm 2 as the psalmist comes and says, why do the nations, the NIV says conspire, but it is typically translated rage. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. We live in a world where the natural tendency of the heart of all of humanity is to rage against God. God has said, this is how you will live. This is my law. This is the standard for holiness. This is the standard for salvation. And we rage against that in our natural state. What is God's response to the raging of the nations and the kingdoms? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We all seek to live life in our natural state. We seek to live life according to our will according to our glory, according to our wants and our desires. And then we gather together kingdoms and we we empower the kingdoms to do what I want to do, to do what you want to do so that you can have the easy life, so that you can feel good about yourself, so that you can have a high level of self-esteem. And as we do that, we ignore the law of God. We ignore what he says is right. And we bring judgment upon ourselves. And brothers and sisters, apart from the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to change your heart, when God comes to this earth at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there will not be a mass repentance. There will be a further deepening of the anger toward God. As the people saw the natural disasters and the demon-infused torment of the first six chapters, what was declared about the people of the earth? They refused to repent. 
We will double down. You will double down without the work of Christ in your life. You will double down on your rebellion and your anger against God when he returns. His judging presence will not be enough to move your heart to repentance, but to deeper and greater anger. He goes on to say that this judging comes because those who will find judgment are those who destroy God, he says in the last line there of verse 18, God will destroy those who destroy the earth. Our sin, our rebellion against God is a destructive power on the earth. And so we are reminded when the seventh trumpet blows and God comes in his presence that those who are rebellious against him, those that John calls the earth dwellers or the inhabitants of this world, will double down in their anger and their rage against God. But this will also be a time of rejoicing and joy. God gives us in this vision uh, two different people, two different groups of people who will be rejoicing, who will, as part of God's judgment, find reward rather than destruction. And those are the servants, the prophets we see in the middle of verse 18 and the saints who reference reverence the name of God. These are two ways to describe those who fear the Lord. Those who have seen the work of Jesus, who have had their sins shown to them and have confessed and repented of their sin and embraced Jesus as their only hope before a God who will judge and have found forgiveness and reconciliation with God. They will find rewards from God. The servants, the prophets likely talk about those who were inspired to write the the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible. And the saints are just your everyday Christians who walk this earth seeking to live and to glorify God as they have been called in their families, in their work, in their recreation, in their interaction with their friends and their neighbors. Before God and before his reward, there is no difference between the prophet and the apostle and the saint who fears the Lord. Yes, we are told in Scripture that some will be rewarded more greatly than others as we come to God's presence. But brothers and sisters, the worst reward you can get from God is eternal life in his presence. That's the bottom line gift from God, the bottom line reward for living a life of faithfulness. And it is those both who are alive on this earth and those who have passed on to heaven before the seventh trumpet is blown. It is those who will rejoice. The 24 elders represent the church there in God's presence. They are seated upon their throne, as we have seen described for us several times in the book of Revelation. And they fall on their face once again and worship God. They give him thanks. They thank the Lord God Almighty who has all power, the Lord God omnipotent there, the one who is and the one who was. We expect something else there, do we not? Because the other two times this this particular name has shown up, it it has been followed by the one who is to come. We we learn in chapter 4 and 5 of the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is coming. But when the seventh trumpet blows, we do not have to refer to him in the future tense as the one who is coming because he has arrived. He has taken his great power in his hand and he has begun to reign. And the way that is constructed in the original language 
It is a solid reality. Not only has he taken and begun to reign, but he has eliminated all opposition to his reign. And no one will ever try to usurp his throne ever again. No human, no angel will ever come to the throne of God and say, that is mine. Because our God reigns. And this is shown to us in the great angelic choir that we hear speaking at the beginning of this passage in verse 15. That says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. God is always sovereign. I do not want to deny that fact. God sits seated upon his throne. That's what Isaiah saw. That's what Ezekiel saw. That's what John saw in their visions. And it's what Daniel saw in his visions. It's what the scriptures proclaim from beginning to end that God is enthroned in the heavens. But in his providence, in his glorious plan for this earth, He has allowed Satan to think he is on the throne of this world. Why would Satan have the audacity to come to Jesus in the wilderness and say, if you bow to me, all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours? It's because God has allowed him to think that he is in charge here. And so there is a very real aspect in that Satan rules on this earth. But when the seventh trumpet sounds, all pretenders to the throne of God will be deposed. And the one true king will be seated upon the throne and he will reign for a month, for two months, for a thousand years. No, he will reign forever and ever. What a glorious truth. No wonder there is joy for the people of God as they consider the blowing of the seventh trumpet. It's because we will see once and for all the full glorious presence and the full glorious reality that our God reigns. All those promises that we that we cling to so tightly, those promises given to us in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 21 and 22, those promises about pain and death and tears, the promises of the water of life that flows from the throne of God. When the seventh trumpet blows, they will be a present reality, not a future reality. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And we will spend eternity joining our voices with the saints in heaven now, singing all of the great hymns of the book of Revelation. Whether it's the hymn of chapter four as the, as the angels and the saints around the throne lift their praises to God or the, the hymn of chapter five as they lift their praises to the Lamb. Or as we go through the other hymns that are given to us, lifting praise and honor and glory to God for his creative and redemptive acts. Revelation is a loud book, brothers and sisters. As you move from Revelation 1 all the way through Revelation 22, not only do we see the ever-increasing spiral of tribulation and judgment that comes upon the earth before God arrives, but we see the ever-increasing spiral of God's praise and glory that flows from the mouths of his children. From your mouths, from my mouth, we 
should sing boldly and loudly and praise boldly and loudly as we consider the glory of God's future for this earth, for this world. The seventh trumpet blows. And it is a time of anger and a time of joy. As Jesus went out into the wilderness, he was reenacting in a way the trials of the Exodus. This this vision of the seventh trump of the seven trumpets has been tied closely to the Exodus story. The plagues of Egypt are reflected in the first six trumpets. And at the end of a time of suffering and difficulty, God's people will enter the promised land and be with him forever and fellowship with him forever. But in that time, there will be small moments of decision where we must ever where we must either come to him in repentance or turn our back on him. Brothers and sisters, don't be caught when that seventh trumpet blows. Having turned your back upon God in rebellion, live a life of reverence, live a life of fear, so that when that glorious temple is shown and that symbol of God's judging and forgiving presence comes to this earth, you might find joy rather than anger. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for the work of Jesus that has kept us in your presence, that has removed the barrier between us and between you. Lord, walk with us in this earth. Lead us in your glorious presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, as you seek to walk the path that God has placed before you in your family and in your work, take this blessing upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.